0: hey welcome to night school it's, we're a short ways into 2022 feels the same feels the same to me it's like when the clock struck midnight on my birthday where it's it's funny that little trick a minute passes but it's not nothing either you know yeah even if it's all just man-made you know your your age changes and the year changes you can use that And even though I mentioned uh, New Year's resolutions aren't something I've ever thought about, it's like you can still use the fact that it's a new year because, I mean, you know, it's kind of a collective psychosis in a way where it's like suddenly everybody believes things are different. This process that's really just gradual. It's kind of like what I've said about the apocalypse where one one of the first like, whoa, dude, epiphanies I had as a teenager was I was sitting in my room and I was just like, this phrase just came to me where I was like, the apocalypse is gradual. We always think of it as this sudden thing. We always think of the apocalypse as something that just happens. And I was sitting there as a teen listening to music and it just, the apocalypse is gradual. Well, so is aging. So is the year changing. But we have these moments where we say, this is when it officially changes. This is when it's officially your birthday. This is when it's officially a new year. So the fact that everybody believes in it just shows you the power of thought, shows you that if everybody thinks about it at the same time, it has an impact and you have to write down a different year when when you fill out paperwork. Not too much more to say about that. I'm feeling better the last couple days. Not totally 100%. I think it was probably that variant. You know, it's one of those silly discussions that we have now, where it's like, I don't know, uh, it might've been Vi, it might've not been. Probably was. You know, it lasted about close to a week, around a week, without really changing. Just, it pretty much stayed as this weird feeling in my head, kind of like, almost like a headache, sort of a slightly disoriented feeling, just a not good feeling in my head combined with just these severe bouts of exhaustion that aren't normal for me at all. I don't normally have that. I don't normally just have these moments, these periods where just all my energy crashes, but then my sleep schedule has been screwed up. So, you know, it could be anything. And why didn't you get tested? Dude, you telling me you didn't get tested? You know, if it was manageable, who needs to know? you know be nice to know so that I could just tell people oh I had coronavirus I mean I think it was the second time I've had it but who knows I never got I never got the test both times I've had it almost 2 years apart so who knows I just wasn't feeling great but uh, it's it's also been you know on I think it was Christmas Eve a week ago I was talking about just wanting to slow or stop time and we ended up getting a lot more snow than I expected. About a week ago, we got a little less, about six, five or six days ago, we got a bunch of snow, and then we've gotten snow throughout the week. So we've ended up with about seven inches of snow. And normally, you know, unless it's a big snowstorm, the snow is normally gone within a day or two, or its its purity is tainted right away. But it's also been the coldest it's ever been in my lifetime in Washington State for this long where it doesn't really get above the lower 20s on most days of this week. It's been in the teens. I mean, I think today's one of the coldest days I ever remember. It's in the teens right now. It's just, you know, I know there are other parts of the country where that's common, but here, unheard of for it to be in the teens. And even though I was sick, I made it a point to get out for walks, which, you know, I was very conscious of. I'm not a scarf guy. If you can believe that, I'm not much of a scarf guy, but I wore a scarf just to be a little safe, just to give my my face a little more warmth. And I was like, oh, I hope this, (laughs) you know, here, I may or may not have the variant, the variant, and I'm going for walks during the coldest week of my life, but sometimes you just got to get out and, you know, I, I feel like if I don't get out for walks in the snow, I'm not taking proper advantage of it. And there's just something about that, how quiet it is, how that air feels, and the fact that the snow has just stayed and it's been, you know, complemented by this ice on everything too, because of how cold it is. It's also icy and the snow is well preserved. But uh, it's funny, I had this really strong sense of deja vu on one of my walks where I was just out there walking at night. And the only time I remember being in weather like this was when I was in South Korea, which, you know, before I went, I had no idea that South Korea had such cold winters, but they do. It was about this temperature. I think it got down to the teens when I was there. And they didn't have any snow. Just everything was covered in, it looked like snow, but it was actually just layer upon layer of ice because it just accumulates all winter long there. But I was out walking here the other night, and I walked by, you know, there was a restaurant or something, and I could just smell meat cooking. And it it was immediately this almost psychedelic experience. Because when I was in Korea, like the atmosphere of the cold, just the way that just very cold weather felt, and you'd go by places and you'd just smell meat cooking. You know, you'd go by Korean barbecue places there. And so it immediately was weird. It was like just the atmosphere, the temperature, and then this, you know, when you smell food cooking, when you're outdoors in the snow, it amplifies the smell, you know, it makes the smell that much stronger. So it was just this weird moment where I was suddenly, for a split second, I just was taken back to Korea, which feels like a dream, you know, going there felt like enough of a dream, that motivated me to find out what mountain it was that I climbed there you know I've told the story on here before about climbing a mountain in dress shoes in Korea and how I was going up the mountain at the base of the mountain this old man was coming down and he had probably climbed the mountain every day his entire life he had that sort of vibe about him like the old man of the mountain and he didn't speak any English because where I was staying in Anyang People didn't speak English. It's not like Seoul where people are a little more, they have a little more, uh, I don't know, you know, as you'd expect from a big city, they speak more English. But so this guy, he just started laughing and gesturing at my feet. You know, he was obviously telling me like, you're not going to be able to climb this mountain in dress shoes. In Korean, he was telling me, you're not going to be able to climb this mountain in dress shoes, kid, American but I just laughed I just chuckled and kept walking because I was like I'll take up that challenge and you know it wasn't like it was that dangerous and it wasn't like a huge mountain you could climb it I think in I think it's like a two and a half hour climb to the peak so it's not like it climbs Mount Everest or something but it it was an official mountain and it was the entire mountain too it's just rock covered in ice very rocky and you know it wasn't too dangerous or anything there are parts where like you're going up a very steep area and you look to your right and it is a pretty significant drop-off especially when you're walking on icy rock and there was a part of course where of course where you had to do this side rappel, where they had a chain bolted at sort of a slightly upward angle to this rock face And to get up, you had to like pull on the chain and lean back and then put your feet flat against the wall and basically do a side rappel. So, I mean, stuff like that, you know, I can understand why wearing dress shoes, which had no tread on the bottom, they were completely smooth on the bottom, but hey, I'm proud of that. It felt right. It felt right to climb a mountain in Korea in dress shoes, but I never knew the name of the mountain. You know, because after all, I was in Korea, and most things there are written in Korean lettering, in Korean characters, and then even words that use English letters. You know, they're often in they're often Korean words, except for the word chicken. You know, aside from you know, aside from well-known brands, like for example, there were a million Dunkin' Donuts. There was a Dunkin' Donuts on, on every corner. There were 7-elevens there were starbucks mcdonald's tons of outback steakhouses for some reason there was a market an outdoor market in seoul that i went to and there were actually two outback steakhouses on the same block on the same side of the street on the same block there was one on one corner and then down on at the end of the same block there was an outback steakhouse on the other corner but they were small they weren't the size of the outback steakhouses we have here they were like half the size so you had two small outback steakhouses on each end it was like a dream or what it reminded me of was like sim city it was like some video game where you get to build your own city and if you're playing sim city it's like you could put two police stations right next to each other for no reason it was kind of like that like playing sim city and just being like i'm gonna put two outback steakhouses on the same block and it was popular People love American culture there. And there was a TGI Fridays of all places too. And there was a line out the door. I remember thinking that was so funny. I was like, I never thought I'd go to a, the other side of the world, a place where nobody looks like me or speaks my language. And there there's a line out the door to go to TGI Fridays. Because in my hometown, TGI Fridays was the place to go. It was where they had team parties. You know, if you were celebrating something in school, like if it was the last day of school and your parents took you and your friends out to eat, you'd go to TGI Fridays. So to be in the on the other side of the world and to see just a line out the door for TGI Fridays was funny. But uh, as far as Korean restaurants and Korean businesses went, the only English word you saw was chicken. Because there were all these, a lot of the young people there go to these chicken and beer halls. And it didn't say beer, it would say Hof, H-O-F. And so I was confused when I was walking around because you'd see a lot of these places and a lot of them, their banner or logo would have a cartoony chicken, almost like a kind of a Japanese sort of, um, not quite anime, but kind of a Japanese cartoon looking chicken or animal on the logo. And they all, a lot of them looked like this. And then underneath it, it would have something in Korean characters, and then it would say Hof and Chicken, H-O-F and Chicken. And it took me a while to figure out what that meant, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it was H-O-F, and H-O-F is beer. Hof is beer. And they're more like these banquet halls. They're not really like a restaurant or a bar. You go in, and it's kind of like a cheap banquet hall with these big wooden tables that about 12 people can sit at and they just serve fried chicken and beer and there was, I went to one of them by myself not knowing what it was I was just really hungry One, I think it was my last day there and uh, I was really hungry and you know wanted something to drink and, and when I went in the guy didn't the guy was like laughing at me once again I got laughed at a lot and I went in there and like I, I sat by myself at this huge booth and then I just pointed to something on the menu and he he, he brought it to me and it was like enough fried chicken for 12 people because it's like they only host groups there it's very it's, people don't go to these places alone unless you're an american who has no idea what's going on so hoff and chicken you see the word chicken all the time there but uh back to the mountain you know i i, I climbed this mountain but i never knew the name of it because i stayed in the city called Anyong. But I didn't know the names of the streets. I Beyond the name of the city, I didn't know anything. I mean, the whole trip was hallucinatory and it's like, I don't even remember getting places. Like I barely remember landing. It was a super long uh, plane ride. No, it was a really short plane ride. I got to Korea from, I went from the United States to Korea in an hour. No, it was super long, it was like a 14 hour plane ride. And then I, I barely remember landing, and then just I hired a cabby a cabby to drive me about an, I think it was about an hour drive to get to Anyang from Seoul. So just hallucinatory. The whole thing was hallucinatory, and then you know, the person I was staying with knew a little more. You know, she didn't speak great Korean. She was a, an American girl, a white girl, who I had met here. And so she didn't really, she was relatively new there didn't speak fluent Korean, so I just just sort of winged it and uh, climbed this mountain, but I had no idea what the mountain was, because the city of Anyang has four mountains. It's surrounded by four mountains, so I've tried to kind of half acidly look it up before, but I wasn't able to find out, because it could have been any of these mountains, and if I look at a map of the city, I remember certain landmarks. Like I remember there's an arena, like a soccer arena. I remember that, because I walked by it. But beyond that, I couldn't even tell you where in the city I stayed. I was really just, I just had no idea where I was. I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, I I had no plan either. Like, I mean, I saw some cool things, but I, I didn't make a list of touristy things I wanted to do or anything like that. And the person I was staying with worked 10 hours a day throughout the week. So I had basically 10 hours to kill. So I'd just wander around just wander around and look at things and I saw some cool stuff but also just mundane stuff was interesting to me because I mean I can entertain myself in the town I live in just walking through neighborhoods just walking by strip malls so even that was interesting to me in Korea so I didn't really need to have tourist activities to do but after getting that deja vu feeling the other night we're just smelling that meat in this very cold, snowy weather, I was just like, you know, I should actually find out what the name of that mountain is. And funny enough, I found it by looking up McDonald's because I knew about the, I knew where this McDonald's was. It was the place I got dropped off at. The cab driver dropped me off at this McDonald's in Anyang. And I was just like, you know what? If I can find that exact McDonald's, I remember that the the mountain was actually on the same street as the McDonald's, which is funny. It's just way up there. It's like you stay on the same street and you just walk forever and you eventually end up at the base of the mountain. And so I was like, if I could find that McDonald's, which is funny, it's like my point, but it makes sense. My point of reference is something familiar. So I, I just typed in into Google, <laughs> Google maps. I was like McDonald's onyong, And then I found the right one and I was able to do the street view, which is still so incredible. I mean, I, I don't take that for granted. The fact that I was actually in this foreign place walking around on the streets, and then I can go home and years later, I can hop on there and simulate walking those streets again. So that's what I did. And then I found the base of the mountain, and I was able to figure out that it was Morak Mountain. I never would have guessed. Morak. M-O-R-A-K. Sounds like something from a fantasy novel. Morak Mountain. They call it Son. Kind of like how the Japanese add S-A-N after names. And this is called Morak-san. M-O-R-A-K-S-A-N. Morak Mountain. And it doesn't even sound Korean to me. But then again, neither does Hoff. Hoff and Morak. But I'm glad I found out the name. Now I can tell people. I climbed Morak Mountain. just uh, pivoting a little bit you know there's a guy uh, i've never paid any attention to him but i became aware of him about a year ago there's a guy in olympia here who does a podcast and he first became known he's not he's not famous or anything but he first became known cuz he covered the whole evergreen ordeal from 2017 so now and again i listen to his podcast he interviews people sometimes people i'm familiar with a lot of people i'm not familiar with and the host, the guy who lives here in Olympia, definitely falls into the disaffected liberal category. He was going to Evergreen at the t- in 2017. He's a Gen Xer, you know, not my kind of person, but I don't mind him either. He's a decent guy, but, uh, about a year ago, he had this guy on who's like an alpha male coach. And this guy, he never has guys like this on his show. He doesn't typically interview people like this. But he had this guy on because this guy's whole thing, this alpha male coach type guy, he's one of those guys, he's has, he has a big, long beard, which is always a huge red flag for me. And uh, just when that whole beard thing became big, yeah, men grow beards naturally. Men have always had beards. Some very cool people have long beards. But when growing a big, long beard became cool in the last decade i just always see it as a red flag and so this guy was on just something about him you know something about him rubbed me the wrong way i couldn't tell you what it was maybe the fact that he's an alpha male coach he's very he's very he's part of this masculinity industry and I, i didn't really think much of it though I was just like he's just some guy selling something pushing something because his whole platform was like, I used to be a Democrat. I used to be a Democrat. Now I'm teaching people how to be alpha males. Now I'm, now I'm teaching men how to get in touch with their masculinity, which you don't really need somebody, somebody to teach you that. Yeah, it's nice. Like some people need father figures, I guess. Some people need somebody to give them a push in the right direction. But I always raise an eyebrow when I see people like who make it their entire platform to like tell men how to be masculine and how to get in touch with their masculine side as much as I do love macho stuff it's always just been I mean I think where I come from on that because sometimes I worry that that's how I come across to certain people because I mean at this point even just talking about being a man or talking about men you know, is a, we're, it's a strange, we're in a strange time for even doing that. But the way I see that is like where I come from on that is just, I push back on people who try to tell men how to be themselves. I don't believe in telling men how to operate or how to be. My only problem is the people out there, and there are many of them these days, who are trying to tell men what they are and how to do that. Because for me, like, I, you know, Nobody ever like coached me, even my dad, my uncles, my grandpa, my, even my football coaches never really talked about like what it is to be a man and what makes a man. Like my dad's not the kind of guy who really, you know, works on things. He's not, he's, he's a man, you know, he's not a, he's not some geek or anything, but he's not like a guy who works on cars you know, he likes to fish. He likes boat going out on going out on boats and things like that. He played football in high school. He was in a fraternity in college. And then he got really into smoking weed and growing weed. And uh, and he's a conservative-minded guy overall. But it's like he never told me like, "Son, son, this is what it is to be a man." He never told me any of that. But I I naturally, my entire life, I've gravitated towards certain things. Like as a little kid, like my sister had a bunch of Barbies and I found like the miniature aspect interesting, but I, I would always grab the Ken doll. And the only thing I ever remember doing with them was I drew glasses and I think facial hair on one of her Ken dolls, but I never had an interest in the Barbies. It just didn't make any sense. And, uh, you know, I always gravitated toward G.I. Joe, action movies, pro wrestling, you know, even getting into art and music and that kind of thing, heavy metal. Not that it's all macho posturing type of stuff, but just, you know, always gravitated towards stuff that, you know, I think appeals more to men, you know, whatever. But that was never the... It's not themed that way. It's not like, oh, I'm going to get into this because it's for men. It's just, this is what I like. You know, that's how I've always been. And so, like, as far as the way the, the culture has mutated in recent years, it's like, I give pushback against people who are trying to tell you what men should do or shouldn't do or what it is to be a man or, you know, people, especially people who aren't men. If you're not a man trying to tell men what they are and how they should operate, aside from just don't do terrible things. But uh, these guys who have made it their platform, like being a man, we, that's what we talk about. Like you don't sit around and talk about being a man. Men, in my opinion, and as far as I'm concerned, it's a fact, men don't sit around like talking about masculinity. It's not like, it's not an interesting conversation and it's, it's kind of a fetish, you know, it kind of comes across fetishistic when people do that. And so this guy with the beard, I just, I'd seen him talk and then I, I, he's shown up a couple other times on shows that I pay attention to. And each time there's just something about him that, that rubs me the wrong way. And that's, and that's just the way he comes across in addition to the fact that, that he's trying to teach men, and they have to pay him some insane amount of money to do it. You know, to learn what it is to be a man, how, how to be an alpha male. And I don't even think I don't even know if that phrase has ever come up on here. I don't even know if I've ever used the phrase alpha male. It's one of the, just one of those abominable traps that men have gotten caught up in in recent years, where there's a lot of young men who are trying to be an alpha male. And they end up consuming books and media that's designed to teach them how to be an alpha male. And, you know, I think, I think you're losing if you're going through life thinking about that to begin with. Like if you're going through life worried about whether or not you're an alpha male and trying to be an alpha male, I can tell you you're not an alpha male and that's fine. But you should stop trying to worry about it. Because when I think about people that I would describe that way, and I personally wouldn't even call them that, but thinking about people I've known who fit the bill, they would never once for a second be like, well, I'm an alpha male. I'm an alpha male. I'm an alpha male. I'm an alpha male. They would never even think that. It's It comes naturally to them. Like I think about people I played football with, kids I grew up with, who were certainly leaders of the pack it was just completely natural to them it was not something that they had to try to do and they didn't lord it over anybody either there were just certain people that other boys looked to and that's true for being an adult as well there are certain people that other guys look at and they admire them and they will listen to them and sometimes those guys are uh, athletic. Sometimes they're smart. Sometimes it's, it's, there's any number of qualities. Sometimes they're creative. It could be anything. You know, it's not like there's one single type of alpha male. It's not just guys who are physically imposing. It's not just guys who are extremely charismatic. It's really, it could be any number of qualities, usually a mixture though. Usually the sorts of people who are naturally so-called alpha you have kind of a mixture of natural qualities that makes them that way. And uh, so the idea of like manufacturing that and selling it and striving for it, it's a lot like enlightenment. It's a lot like somebody who gets into spirituality, gets into Eastern religion and thinks, well, I'm doing this for enlightenment. Because the second that you call yourself enlightened, Well, you've just ruled out the possibility that right now you're enlightened. The second you say, I'm enlightened, well, we can rule that out. You know, you negate your enlightenment. It's very similar to that. Or like the second that you think of yourself as an alpha male, or that you're trying to be an alpha male, you can rule out being an alpha male at that exact moment, and you should rule it out anyway. You should just think about doing what's natural to you. And listen. And you have to listen to yourself to do that. Here I am being a coach, but I don't know. I was at a show, uh, a music show. You're at a music show, huh? You were at, at a music show? I was at a music show, and there was a band playing, and it was, it was a friend of a friend's band. And the guy on stage, he was just, you know, his whole approach was being antagonistic And it was sort of an act, but sort of not. You know, he wanted to antagonize the crowd, but he was up there talking. He was like, we're alpha males. And I was just like, oh boy, you know, just embarrassing. And he was an older guy too. I think he was pushing 50. (laughs) And uh, I just thought to myself, man, I'm I'm glad that's not my friend. I'm glad that I can say that guy's a friend of a friend because just embarrassing to be saying that to be thinking that and you know this new alpha male this new focus on alpha male because it's everywhere like a lot of especially among men who are pushing back against the state of culture you know young men in particular who are pushing back on the way young men have been molded which isn't good the way young men are being molded today isn't good And that's kind of the source of the problem. The problem, like the source of the problem, isn't that young men today are thinking about how much they want to be alpha and listening to guys tell them that and paying to find out how to do that. That's not, that's not the source of the problem. The source of the problem is the, just a natural, the natural state of manhood has been challenged a lot. Not that there's any one way to be a man, but even just the natural state of manhood that you as an individual have, gets a lot of flack in our society today. And so this interest in being an alpha male, in being hyper-masculine, it's largely a response to that. It's like, well, society has pushed me to be kind of an effeminate nerd who eats poorly Who's in poor physical shape, who talks in a nerdy upspeak tone. Society's kind of molded us to be that way. Well, I'm going to fight back against that by basically being a caricature of a man, by trying to be some kind of action hero or warrior. The number of young men, and just not just young men, I'm thinking about young men here, but it's not just young men, but just the number of men in general right now who are pushing back against some of the constraints that are being placed on them by trying to be this warrior poet. Oh, dude, I'm a warrior poet. Dude, I'm a warrior poet, dude. It's pretty embarrassing. It's extremely embarrassing. Especially because these guys aren't even, usually these aren't even guys who have ever proven themselves. These aren't guys who have proven themselves to be tough and they're trying to communicate that to everybody else. It's like what my old uh, roommate Pablo, the Puerto Rican guy told me. And he was a nerdy guy. He was a nerdy he was in school to create video games. He was at, he was going to Nintendo's college cuz most people don't know this but in Redmond Washington. Nintendo has its own little college to train people to make video games. He was going there, but he was also a graffiti artist too. And he was a Puerto Rican guy from Florida. So he knew all kinds of guys. He knew gangsters. He knew Puerto Rican gangsters in Florida. And just when he told me, he was like, you know, and I was pretty young. And he just told me, he's like, you know, Eric, he's like, always worry about the wannabes. Like the, you don't have to, a guy who's actually tough or gangster you know, you don't have to worry about him. He has nothing to prove. So unless you really mess with him, you're not going to have to worry about the guy who's actually serious. He's like the guys you have to worry about are the wannabes because they're trying to prove something. And that plays into this because what we see is these guys who are wannabes. It's like they want to be this warrior poet, alpha male, but they've never actually done anything aside from, you know, they might look that way They might consume literature and ideas that promote that. But it's not like these guys, many of these guys have been to war. Some of them weren't even athletes growing up. A lot of these guys are nerds who are overcompensating. And it's just sad to see. You know, it's just sad to see them so preoccupied with that. And it's kind of like the next step after the pickup artist trend. Which I'm mostly unfamiliar with. And I think there are even some guys who were involved with that who are now involved with this, which is unsurprising. But I I saw the TV show, The Pickup Artist, which I think was largely uh, scripted. I think it was just like all reality shows. I think it came out that the guys who were getting trained to be pickup artists were actors. But still, it was that idea. And from, from what I understand, and I have very little knowledge of this, but I've heard a few things here and there, is that there was this really intense online pickup culture where, once again, you had these guys like teaching people how to impress women. But I think the difference with the pickup artist thing is while it, it promoted, I think it promoted like fashion. Like, here's what you have to, like, when I watch the show, and again, the show is... Probably not a realistic portrayal of what actually went on in the pickup artist, quote unquote, culture. But I remember one time, like the main guy who had written books about it, the reason why he was hosting the show, his name was Mystery. Mystery. But the reason Mystery was hosting the show is because I think he had gotten some level of fame on the internet, coaching men how to be pickup artists, how to get women. And he had written a book and he called it The Game. But on the show there was one time where he was like giving guys fashion tips and he was like when you go out to a club but uh, when you go out to a club just wear a pair of goggles on the top of your head. <laughs> and he's like cuz girls are going to come up to you and they're going to be like what's up with the goggles and that's a conversation starter. It's like, "Oh. Just wear goggles on your head, man." It's like basically, it was, and this is before steampunk. This is before steampunk. But basically, like, look like a steampunk character when you go to a nightclub and girls are just going to come up to you and be like, what's up with the goggles? That's that's your in, dude. But at, from what I understand, they didn't really talk that much about fitness. They probably talked about it a little bit because obviously being fit plays into having confidence. It makes you more attractive most of the time. But it's, I don't think they were, like, teaching guys to be bodybuilders. I don't think they were teaching guys to be these physically imposing monsters or anything. But as that's kind of evolved into this alpha male coaching, you see where a lot of the guys, you know, they're trying to look big and imposing. And, you know, I love fitness. You know, being muscular, being in good shape is a good thing. And it does give you confidence. It feels good to do that. It's good for you to do that. But you can see where guys, like, they really want to have a shape. They really want to have that shape. And so a lot of emphasis is, it's very superficial. Like this idea of looking physically imposing, you know, reading this literature, following these basically salesmen who are selling this idea, who are selling these tips and tricks on how to be an alpha male. It's basically a continuation from the pickup artist thing, but it's become even more hyper masculine. It's become even more of a caricature. And I think that's, like I was saying, largely in response to this sort of feminization and emasculation, which is taking place. That is taking place. But that's not the right response to it. The right response to it isn't to become just a caricature of a big jock that you never were earlier in life. Or to try to be more rugged than you are. Cause then these guys they end up pooling together. And this guy that I'm talking about with the big beard, he has he apparently has this group, and you have to pay some extreme amount of money, like a hundred dollars a month, which is like it's like your electric bill you have to pay $100 a month to be part of this group and you get advice and you get to be part of this network of other guys and uh, from what I understand this guy who runs it he was making something like $70,000 a month doing that $70,000 a month based on just this alone this isn't counting the other stuff he sells because he also sells brunches (laughs) You know you're an alpha male if, you, if you're if you selling brunch tickets. He sells like $400, I'm not even kidding, $400 tickets to attend a brunch with him. And if you pay more than that, you can have breakfast with him too. And then there's one where if you pay like $2,500, I guess you just get to hang out with him all day. I'm not even kidding. There's, there's this, there's tiers where the more you pay, like the more you get to like hang out with this guy. You probably get to have dinner with him. That's probably what it is. It's like, oh, if you pay $400, you get to attend this brunch. If you pay $700, you get to have breakfast before that. If you pay 2500, you get to sleep in his bed, which actually plays into what I'm going to talk about, which is it came out in the last week that this guy has he's a you know, a degenerate and a pervert. He uh I guess just a couple years ago, he was or a few years ago he was really into cuckolding you know i was talking about i used that word in that two-hour episode about sex and pornography and puritanism Uh, but it turns out this guy was really into being cuckolded and he had written articles about how like being a cuckold actually makes you more of a man because you're the one in control i mean I guess that's an interesting philosophical idea. Seems like just a justification for getting deliberately cuckolded. But he basically had a cuckolding fetish where he would arrange dates. And he would he would arrange this for his girlfriend to go. And this guy's like 50 years old, by the way. But he would arrange for his girlfriend to go screw other guys and then like report back to him. And somebody confronted him on a podcast about it. They were not, not even confronted him. They were just like, so what's up with that? Because he tried to hide it he used to be like really pro cuckolding and he wrote this article and somebody brought it up to him. And he, and he, this girl, this woman who I'd, I'd never even heard of her, but I saw a clip of it, like a fan wrote in and, a, and said, like, ask him about his cuckolding article. And so this woman who hosts the podcast was like, so what's up with this cuckolding thing? And he flew off the handle and he was like, fuck you, fuck you. Don't you, you know, I, I've covered this before. Fuck you. He, he was like trying to belittle this woman for asking about it. And she wasn't, she was just the messenger. She was just reading this, uh, this message from a fan. And that opened the doors to all this other stuff where people uncovered that it wasn't just that he was into cuckolding, but he actually was an amateur porn guy. He and his girlfriend would make videos of her, like pegging him and doing all kinds of things together and uh, videos came out of him doing stuff by himself. And he looks like a bear. He looks like your stereotypical, like he's a, he's like in his fifties, big beard with gray in it, bald hair on his entire body. You know, just a big guy, a big, big dude. He's what we call a big dude. And he, he, it turns out he had made videos of himself inserting things into himself. I'll leave it at that. And, and the, you know, this was largely offered to men and on these recordings that people found, like he, he admits to like being into dudes as well, which like, this would all be fine. Like, this is just some guy's kink. I don't approve of it. I don't approve of that kind of stuff. I think that's just taking things too far. Like if I found out a friend of mine was into all that, I wouldn't hate them or judge them deeply. It would certainly make me look at them different. You know, and my friends have done some things I don't approve of, but it's like, if I found out a friend of mine was into this, like, cuckolding fetish where he arranged for men on Tinder and Craigslist to screw his girlfriend and report back to him, and if I found out a friend of mine was, like, getting pegged on webcam and, like, all sorts of other stuff and doing solo stuff and then, like, you know, talking about, like, screwing a bunch of men and stuff, it just, I don't know, I mean... Again, I wouldn't judge them, but it would certainly make me look at them different. But what makes it interesting here is this guy was just doing this within the last couple years, and it, it really goes against his entire brand, where he's like coaching men how to be men, and going for this hyper-masculine, you know, image that's like opposed to the direction modern man has gone, and, you know, it's, just, it's definitely hypocritical, and it. it You know, it just shows that he's scamming people too. You know, I don't really like the pile on that goes on. I don't don't really like to see, you know, I don't take any joy in anybody being humiliated. And I usually kind of try to avoid that. Like when you hear about like a figure getting the pile on, no matter who they are, whether I like them or don't like them, or I'm totally indifferent or ambivalent. You know, I don't take any pleasure in that anymore. I I really don't like to see people getting attacked and humiliated. But it has been interesting to see this develop because this guy, he's been promoting this alpha male lifestyle. And it turns out he's got this whole shadow underneath him. And he responded to it very poorly because I could see if somebody's life changed. Like if this guy's life changed and he was now telling people, hey, you know, the modern world got me caught up in all this world of weird you know exhibitionism and kink and here's how i got out of it but no he basically hid that from the world and it was it was relatively recent i think that stuff was going on when he had already taken on this character and you see that with that group of guys in general because there is something kind of homoerotic about it and once again i mean if, if people are into that if that's the point well then that's fine but it seems like those guys they don't want to admit that that's an element to it. And I'm not one of these people who points out homoeroticism. Like, there's, there's people out there who, like, every time they see something that's hyper-masculine, they try to tear it down by being like, well, it's kind of homoerotic. You know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who tries to do that. But in this case, it's like these guys are, they're, like, forming this brotherhood, and they're paying all this money to give each other tips and tricks and, like, They're in this like insular circle where they just talk about being masculine and what it is to be a man all the time. And then it turns out this guy who's leading this big group of men, he's indulging in all of that. And like, well, I don't like to see anybody get attacked and humiliated. I mean, I think sometimes the truth just comes out. And so I'm paying a little bit of attention to it, trying not to pay too much of attention to it, but I just find it fascinating. Especially because this guy, he's kind of tried to, his whole shtick is that he's like a former Democrat who's now right wing because he's opposed to, you know, the endless list of things that are going on on the left that have pushed people away. But you can tell he's definitely, he, he invented a shtick. He's a snake oil salesman. And in response, I've, I've seen people say, oh, look, the right wing is doing its own cancel culture. And, you know, maybe they are. Maybe that's what's going on. I'm, I got enough skin in the game. But I think part of it, too, is just calling somebody out for being a fraud. But uh, that hyper-masculine thing, well, and in th- this week, too, a guy who was part of this guy's group, like a guy who's a member, a paying member of the bearded man's group, committed a mass shooting. So it's been a really bad week for this guy We're a member of his group, who's another 50 year old man, what's up with all these 50 year old men, but this guy who was a member of that guy's group, a guy who like tried to write some book about masculinity and uh, has been sell, try, trying to sell himself as something similar shot up a bunch of people in Colorado. And it's, it's weird that that happened when it did. Cause you know, talking about Columbine recently has made me think like, why are there so many mass shootings in suburban Denver? There've been so many well-known mass shootings in the suburbs around Denver. You have Columbine, you have, you've had multiple shootings in Aurora, not just the Joker kid, not just that psycho who shot up the movie theater in Aurora, but there was another Aurora shooting, I think earlier this year, there were, there've been like three mass shootings. I think two of them, I think 10 people got killed in a suburban Denver town earlier this year. And then somebody attempted another one. And then now there's this one, which took place somewhere around there. I think it was the next town over from Littleton where Columbine is. And it goes back even further. There's been a lot of, there's been a bunch of shootings in suburban Denver, which makes me wonder like, what is it about that area it's a very liberal area, you know, marijuana got legalized. The first state to legalize marijuana in the U.S. was Colorado. I've known a bunch of people from Colorado because it's it's not worlds away. I mean, it's, some, it's several states over, but Colorado type people enjoy Washington. They're both outdoorsy places. Um, so I've known a number of people from Colorado. They tend to have grown up in very progressive environments. You know, so it's just interesting that that's such a a mass shooting capital, really. I mean, I wonder, is there any other place, is there any other metropolitan area where that many mass shootings have happened? Not counting gang violence, not counting the shootings that go on in places like Chicago. I'm talking about just straight up mass shootings where somebody just goes out with the idea of just killing a bunch of people with a gun but, it, it, you know, some information came out about the guy who did this mass shooting. And in addition to being part of the the bearded man's group, this guy has been trying to capitalize on this whole hyper masculinity trend. And I saw pictures and I learned a little bit about him. He's another example of a guy who's, who's kind of gotten sucked into this right wing persona, this sort of pseudo right wing. Like it doesn't even seem like there are any real politics to it. It kind of seems like it's just a response to where culture is headed, which I understand. I understand that. But just taking it in the wrong direction. And this guy, you see him and you know immediately what type of guy he is. The shooter, once again, a big beard. But not just that, he had the haircut that all the guys had over the years, over the last, you know, decade, last six, seven years, that haircut where all the guy, all the young guys for a while were getting that haircut where they shaved the sides of their head and either like slick back and grow the hair the, the top out a little bit longer and then slick it back or do like the pseudo pompadour he had that haircut with a, and that always went with the long beard and he was i think he was a tattoo artist so he had all these tattoos he was just a stereotype where he had the the sides of his head shaved with a swoop haircut with a big big old beard Bunch of tattoos, connections to tattoo parlors. He shot up a tattoo parlor. He's the type of guy who, like, five or six years ago would have been talking to you about craft beer. You know, he just a caricature of a human, caricature of a man, a modern man. And so when I saw that guy, I just kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, of course he looks like that. Of course, some, like, 50-year-old mass shooter in 2021 would be that kind of guy and he'd be ultra concerned with presenting himself as an alpha male. And I can tell you, if you're not just a, if you're not comfortable with your place as a man, by the time you're 50 years old, I don't know that you ever, I don't know that you're ever going to reach that peak. If you're still worried about presenting yourself as the ultimate alpha male and consuming literature and lectures and paying money to be coached, into being an alpha male when you're 50 years old something has gone horribly wrong and uh you know it's just it's it's a symptom though it's not the cause of anything and it's not the result of traditional manhood this isn't toxic masculinity this is this hyper masculinity that's in response to the just the state of men today, but it's 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 a good example of like why that conversation needs to change. It's a good example of why that framework needs to change because there is this genre of men, this category of men, that will go in this direction, and most of them aren't going to be violent. Most of them aren't going to be mass shooters. Some of them. It, turns out have a secret cuckold you know bisexual uh uh amateur exhibitionism kink which you know people are welcome to do that i don't believe in policing what other people want to do with consenting adults but it's kind of what you expect of these guys it makes me think of a guy and i'm deliberately not naming names i think it's better just to describe these people without adding a name to it but there's a guy he lives in the pacific northwest here and he's gotten well known he's an author yet again a tattoo artist what is it with tattoos man what is it with beards and tattoos but this guy he's a tattoo artist and he's an author once again hyper masculine looks like a bodybuilder and about a decade ago he, he wrote a book that i read i'd never heard of him i just found it randomly and i decided to read it and it was basically about how men need to accept that like women are far gone and you know they just need to do their own thing and band into their little tribes of men and basically be warrior poets. Live live in your own little warrior poet utopia. And he made some good points in the book, but I didn't agree I, I disagreed with him on a lot. You know, I found myself disagreeing with him on a lot because I can do that. I can read somebody's book and disagree with them and agree with them on some things, you know, but uh, I found out he was gay afterward. He's openly gay. (laughs) And I laughed about that because I was like, of course, of course you want men to just get away from women and break off into their own little manly tribes of, of warrior poets. That's perfect for you, man. (laughs) <laughs> you're openly gay. You know, you, of course you want men to get away from women and just hang out with each other. So and this guy, I think he's connected to all this stuff. He's been promoting many of the same ideas. And it's, it's like, it's not like there's nothing of value to what these guys are doing, but it's just, it's taken to such a pathological degree. And it does come across like overcompensation. It does come across like they're overcompensating, overcorrecting. Because my take on all this stuff is just know what comes natural to you. Come to an understanding as to what comes natural to you and reject people who try to tell you to be something else. That's all you have to do. And maybe there's a time and a place to speak up, but it doesn't really require... I mean, if you're paying somebody for this stuff, I mean, I think that's a part of it too. If you're paying somebody for this stuff, because the examples are all over the place and if you do need information or guidance, there's plenty of free information or guidance. All you have to do is think about somebody you admire. Like, do you not admire people unless you're paying them? It's like, you're no better than somebody who's paying for therapy. If you're paying a man to coach you how to be an alpha male, those same types of guys would, would tell you not to go to therapy, or they would say therapies for wimps. And then they're paying somebody to teach them how to be a man. It's like, you're paying a therapist you're, you're at that point paying a therapist and lying to yourself about what you're doing and you know I, I know I get on an anti-therapy kick on here. I don't like the I don't like the pop therapy that has taken over our culture. I don't like the tone of it. I don't like the way that it's brought up continually in our culture today and I make cheap shots you know I make cheap shots about it because I have to just to keep myself sane because it's become such an overwhelming part of our culture and it's it is so popular and people it's a religion to people you know this therapy industry big therapy everything's big big therapy you know it really it's become so dominant that I feel the need to push back on it and I have experience working in that industry for i think close to 7 years or something like that I was in that industry a business that was dependent on it. And so I, I feel like I have some insider knowledge into the sort of logic that goes into it. And it is a religion to people. But like, you know, I, I do have to say, like, being completely honest, it's like, I'm not opposed to people going to therapy And I think there's a reason why we have trained professionals who offer counseling and therapy and maybe even life coaching if you want to go there. But counseling and therapy, I mean, I would never say to get rid of those. I think those people serve a function. And we should have people who are professionally trained to do that. And they do help people. They absolutely help people. A lot of my response to that stuff comes from the fact that the pop therapy, The fact that it's not the professionals who are, it's not the professionals who are having this public conversation all the time. It's all of the average people who have taken on that way of talking and thinking, and they even talk to their peers that way. Even peers who aren't, who don't truly believe in that. Like, I don't believe in that stuff. It's not that I don't think it can be helpful. It's not that I don't think people should go to it. It's that. I just don't fully, I'm not invested in it. And I don't fully believe in that way of thinking and talking. So a lot of my response to that comes from the way that it's infested our pop culture and just the way that we as human beings interact with each other, especially when you're dealing with somebody who isn't a therapist. Like when someone who isn't a therapist talks to you using the language of therapy, or that becomes the way that entire subsections of our population talk to each other, which is going on all the time these days, I have to give pushback to that. But it's not an actual rejection of everything that that is when it's used correctly. But with these guys who have gotten into this hyper-masculine alpha male thing, they're basically doing that same thing, and it's become a religion to them. Being a man has become a religion to them. You, don't, you won't find that in... Scripture, (laughs) you know, you won't, when you're reading scripture, it won't go on and on about what it is to be masculine or what it is to be a man. It'll talk about men and women. Certain qualities, certain guidelines are prescribed to men versus women. But reading the Bible, you know, reading Hindu or Buddhist scripture it doesn't place a whole lot of emphasis on those identities beyond that. You know, it's not trying to, it, it's not a religion. There's no religion of masculinity. Even though these things favor masculinity, even though Christian, Christianity favors men in certain ways. I don't want to go too far with that idea because I think people have kind of taken that for granted. Even though traditional Buddhism does the same, you know, I did that episode a little while back about how traditional Buddhism historically viewed women as, quote-unquote, unclean because they menstruate and they are on the receiving end sexually. They actually It actually says that. And how women can't achieve enlightenment unless they are reincarnated as a man. So, I mean, Buddhism had a pretty severe view of women that gets glossed over in Western Buddhism. Um, and Christianity has some similar ideas. But they're still not a cult of masculinity. They're still The preoccupation isn't with your material form as a man. And so seeing these new kind of cults develop, and that's kind of what they're like, seeing these new cults develop surrounding being the ultimate alpha male, being hyper-masculine, you're just completely caught up in the material, and some of these guys they'll, they'll wax like pseudo spiritual, but it still it puts too much emphasis on the the material once again, and that's one of the aspects of it that turns me off. And I, and the thing is too, I think some of that has done men well. Like, I think there are young men who haven't grown up with the right points of reference, and I have no idea what it's like to be a Zomer. I got no idea what it's like to be a Zomer. I have no idea. I mean, they, they've grown up in a different world than I have. The Zomers have grown up in a much different world than I have, so I don't even know what their points of reference are. And, uh, you know, some of them might benefit from paying attention to some of these guys. I don't know. I think if, I mean, I think any, you know, my approach to everything, as I've said many times is that you should look at every single thing and consider some possible value coming from that. It's like reading that guy's book 10 years ago, there was some, there were some ideas of value. I wouldn't be able to remember what they were, but I remember reading this book and just thinking, well, there's, there's some good points being made here. I don't like his conclusions and I also realize he has a strong bias because he's a gay man and he's telling men they should just do their own thing that's actually what he calls it he's like it's like men doing their own thing or something like that and he's become a very polarizing guy he's gotten even more extreme since then but there were some ideas of value in it but there was so much in it that I was just like eh, you know no I, I'm not going to take this in. But that, you, you should approach everything that way. So if some kid like wants to be an alpha male and he learns something from these men who are giving him pointers on what it is to be a masculine man, what it is to have confidence, what it is to command respect, and he can move on past that, well, that's great. That's why that stuff shouldn't be destroyed. That's why those ideas are rooted in something. They're rooted in something substantial. But when you rest on that, and you now spend your entire life just constantly thinking about what it is to be a man, you might as well be one of those teenagers who's obsessing about pronouns. You might as well be some teenager who's inventing new genders for yourself. You might as well be that person. You're just as focused on identity as them, and it's just as inauthentic. You know, so you got to watch out for that. You're basically paying a therapist to talk to you about gender. (laughs) You know, is that what what you're all about? You know, wow. Because you have natural tendencies. You have natural tendencies as a human being. And you are in a material body. And that material body plays a role in what you do and how you think, what you think is cool, what you want to do with yourself. But you don't want to go too far inward with that. You, know, you don't want to turn that into a feedback loop, especially with a group of other people. Especially if it's not just that fe- it's not just that, that feedback loop is cycling inside of you, but that feedback loop is cycling within this entire group of guys who's feeding into it, who becomes dependent on it. And what do you even say about a group of guys who are all striving to be the alpha male? Because what makes an actual alpha male an alpha male is that he's typically the only one; he's the leader. And just to get away from ...commenting on those guys, it's funny how we naturally accept that. Like, people naturally accept that one guy is sort of the man. And not necessarily at the expense of everyone else. But uh, we kind of accept, like, you know, in pretty much every social circle that I grew up in... ...there was always one guy who was kind of considered the man... Not that everybody else wasn't a man too, but everyone just sort of understood that there was one guy who was, you know, had a little bit more influence, had a little bit more power maybe. Not because of any one quality. Again, it's a sort of mixture of qualities. And it's funny, like back when I used to read football forums online, I noticed, uh, I noticed football fans... When they were talking about their team, they used to make a joke, like, for example, if if people were talking about the Patriots when Tom Brady was the quarterback, some Patriots fan would be like, well, Tom Brady can fuck my girlfriend. Tom Brady can totally screw my girlfriend, which is sort of this admission, like, I don't even know how how aware people are of what they're saying when they make that joke, because it is just a joke. It's basically saying, like, Tom Brady's the man, and he wins games. And he, you know, you know, he just, he has that quality. But it's when guys make that joke, and I used to see that joke all the time. Oh, he can fuck my wife. I can't remember even how it was phrased, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, I wouldn't even be mad if he fucked my wife. That's sort of like acknowledging the alpha male. It's like, well, that guy, you know, I respect him. And he has proven himself, so it's like I wouldn't even be mad. I'd almost take it as a compliment, which (laughs) plays into the cuckolding thing again, where it's almost like, well, you know, I'm willing to be a cuckold if it's the alpha male, because if the alpha male screws my wife, it's almost like he's giving me a compliment. There's almost that sort of logic to it, like that pack mentality I just always notice that. I always notice like how guys go there, and it's not just with football. They'll say it about other people they admire. It's often celebrities. It's often well-known people. They don't usually say that about their friends. It's usually somebody where it's it's not it's not a realistic scenario, but it's like almost saying like Tom Brady. Because I used to see people say it about Tom Brady. It was kind of a a uh, an established joke that guys would make. And it's like yeah, Tom Brady. He's a handsome guy who's. A, The best quarterback of all time he's confident he wins games there's almost like something built into men and it comes out in the form of humor to where these fans are like well you know what Tom Brady can screw my wife I feel like there is something deeper to that maybe I'm reading into it a little bit much but it's almost like there is something deeper there where we acknowledge when somebody is the alpha male but when you talk about like a group of guys, especially these online groups and these groups of men who are going to brunches, $400 brunches, to talk about what it is to be a man and an alpha male. You know, like if you're all trying to be the alpha, who's the alpha? Seems like that's just a breeding ground for resentment and, comp- and needless competition. It sort of defeats the purpose of somebody being the leader. If you're all trying to be that leader, it's a breeding ground for contempt. And I think that's a big misunderstanding that a lot of people have about men being together. You know, because we live in a time where there are very few opportunities for men just to be among each other. You know, I think about like when I've had friends as an adult, male friends. You know, people's girlfriends are always trying to butt in like socializing, going out for drinks. Like it was actually when I was going out for drinks all the time, it was actually a rare occasion that like men could just go out among themselves and just drink and just hang out. You know, someone's girlfriend was always texting them or would want to come and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with them being there. That's it, but it changes the dynamic. I mean, that's true for even close friends of mine. Like even some of my closest friends, if they have a girlfriend or if I have a girlfriend and we hang out, like it's going to be a much different dynamic. Like Our humor is going to be different. You know, the things we joke about are going to be different. And I find that it's harder and harder to have that. It's harder and harder to find situations where men can just get together and be men. And it's not like they sit around. It's not like we sit around and just talk about what it is to be a man. Like You think about societies of men. Like clubs, like men's clubs. It's not like those guys got together. It's not like like groups of men 100 years ago got together in their little secret societies. Or not even a secret society, but just a men's club. A fraternal order, that's what it is. It's not like fraternal orders got together and they were like, well, we're going to talk about what it is to be a men. So how are you becoming more, how are you exploring your masculinity? It's not like men get together and talk about that, that's weird. It really is. It's weird. But they know they're all men and they can talk as men and they can be natural. You can be natural in that situation. And you don't have to worry about anybody thinking about, you don't have to accommodate anybody else. And I mean, I think that's the importance of men having their own time and place to talk to each other and be around each other without women being involved. In addition to when a woman's there, you know, if she's, if, if, if people are single and there's like a single woman there, a new competition develops. And that's something that comes up like this is a tangent, but, you know, it's an aspect of uh, co-ed workplaces that you don't hear talked about that much because we, we hear a lot about how at co-ed workplaces, there's sexual harassment, there are affairs, there's men flirting with women, you know, there's this new component of sex and romance when men and women work together. But the other side of that is that the interaction between men is substantially different. And I have to imagine the interaction between women too are substantially different when you're in a co-ed environment. Like I've experienced that myself, like working in a co-ed office where there are a bunch of younger women and some younger men, I wasn't competing for anything. I'm just, I'm there to work and get along with people. But I remember there was a guy there who, I could just feel that he was competing. I could feel that he was very well aware of the fact that there were young women there and as a result he viewed all of the other men as competition and it made it things extremely awkward because it's not why we're there man. And so that's the whole other dynamic of coed workplaces It, it just it doesn't just revolve around men and women and the various issues that go along with that of men and women being in the same small space together. It's also that it substantially impacts the way people of the same sex, gender, whatever it's called, whatever they're calling it now, it substantially impacts the way men interact with each other, the way women interact with each other. And, uh, you know, and it's not an argument against co-ed workplaces, it's not an argument against women in the, the workforce, it's just a fact that it changes the dynamic substantially And you don't hear that talked about. You only hear that talked about in the context of men interacting with women or women interacting with men. You never hear, with all of the conversations about sexual harassment, workplace affairs, you never hear it talked about that there are interactions between fellow men and fellow women, between each other, that are heavily impacted by that dynamic. And it's true just socially, a party is going to be substantially different if it's all men versus all women, which is why it used to always bother me when I would be at a get together with only men and someone would be like, this Is this a freaking sausage party. Oh my God. Somebody calls some girls. This is a sausage party. It's like, why don't you call the girls? How come you're more than welcome to the guy who points out that it's a sausage party. He just, he's pointing out his insecurity because I mean, sometimes it's more fun if women aren't there. You know, sometimes a party where it's only men is more fun because nobody's thinking about impressing women or if their girlfriend is there, nobody's worried about whether she's having a good time. Sometimes men just getting together and being themselves is fun. And if you're sitting there worried about like, where are the women? Oh my God, this is a sausage party. Oh my God, people might think we're gay if we're just hanging out as men. You're the one with the problem. You're the one thinking about everybody's dicks, you know. You're the one with the dickies on the mind. You're the one who's insecure. You know, so you should be able to appreciate that. But it it gets harder and harder to find that these days. It gets harder and harder to find that. You know, men's fraternal orders are a thing of the past. And you can't recreate that because some people try to. And I think that's what these alpha male coaches are trying to do. When they create these networks, when they create these groups you have to pay to be a part of they're trying to manufacture that at best like some of them are just trying to make money but at best they're trying to kind of manufacture the men's clubs and fraternal orders of old but the reality is those are a thing of the past not that something like that can't exist today but you can't go about it that way they have to develop naturally And so that's just, it's sort of a catch-22 where I think we need something like that. But you can't just manufacture it. You can't force it. And it can't revolve around, like even if the club is men only, the content of the club can't revolve around masculine identity. It can't revolve around trying to be an alpha male. The whole idea is that if it's a men's only group... Well, you've already done what you need to do as far as that goes. You don't just sit around talking about how you're all men. But this is the dilemma we have. Where I think men need to be around each other. And there's so much myth surrounding that. You know, people who aren't men, which is to say women, and maybe a certain type of insecure, weak man... You know, I think they imagine that these conversations that go on between men behind closed doors are much different than they really are. I think people imagine that there's this conspiracy between all men when they get together. That we all get together and we just have misogynistic, lustful conversations about women and you know that we basically conspire for our own benefit at the expense of women or something or men that, that we don't deem acceptable when the reality is, no, it, you know, that's maybe a certain sort of person does that, certain group does that, but that's not what people just naturally do. But, you know, you can't recreate the past. You can't force that to exist today. We don't live in a world where that's easy to do. But I think all men benefit from just getting together with other men sometimes and not worrying about what their girlfriend thinks or whether their wife is having a good time and vice versa too. You know, the opposite is, too, is true too, where it's like women should be able to have their own environment where they're not thinking about men either, where they can just be themselves. And you can see this online because this is something I've noticed where like the internet has become way more co-ed. It used to be where you could go to forums, and I mean, the internet was largely male in many places, where you'd go to a forum, and uh, it would be mostly men. And there would be the the woman who would be the exception, but that would change the dynamic, too. I talked about that maybe earlier this year, about this forum I was on as a teenager, and how there were actually quite a few women And how I've noticed with just when I was on forums as a a teenager, I noticed that women were often kind of, they took on this sort of like den mother role on the internet. And they were often, you know, given a lot of attention and they were kind of treated as confidants. And how like I had this weird, it wasn't an online girlfriend, but it was sort of an online romance with a older woman who had a kid. And then it turned out she was doing that with a bunch of men. And it was just, it was very strange and eye-opening. Um, but uh, it, it that's a good example, though, where, like, she was like the cool girl. She was the cool girl who hung out on the internet with men, and she was beautiful. She's dead now. Uh, she passed away a few years ago, I found out, of natural causes, but I don't know exactly what. But... Uh, it changed the dynamic that she was involved. Like men who were otherwise just kind of socializing online, just talking to each other online, were now competing for her attention, and it, it changed things. But the internet—it used to be easier just to be on the internet around other men, and then we we exist in a time now where it's like social media is coed. Like there's no aspect of social media unless you curate your involvement very specifically, and it would require a lot of effort and diligence, but unless you curate your where you go and how you interact on the internet, everything's very co-ed now. And you know, I think some of these guys creating their own fake fraternal orders and their own little groups, I think some of this is in response to that, where it's like, well, we need our own place. Because I think something gets lost when men and women are around each other all the time, whether it's in the flesh or whether it's in the digital world. But there doesn't seem to be a, a really clear solution to it at this point without being over the top and without overcompensating or without role-playing. Because what I noticed with some of these alpha male types, these, these wannabe alpha male types, is they're trying to create that. But you also, among those guys, they're also trying to sell something to each other. They're they're posturing and they're role-playing. So again, it's not natural. And I feel very fortunate because, like, I have a group of male friends. They don't all live in the same place. We don't all live in the same city. But we see each other periodically. And... Women on a roll, like people's wives, some, some of these friends are married, some of them have girlfriends, but that doesn't really factor in because we can just do our thing and it's understood, you know, what we're doing. But at no point does it revolve around the fact that we're men. We just happen to be men, but we have a common purpose. We have, you know, a common focus and we can just kid around because that's, that's what men do most of the time when they're left to their own devices. They kid around and they find their own entertainment it's not some conspiracy. So this would be advice to women for sure. And it's like, if, if you, I don't know that anybody, I know there's a couple women who listen to this and I'm not talking to them, but I think just to make a point, you just want to tell women, you know, if you have a boyfriend or a husband and he goes off and hangs out with other men, don't bug him. If you trust him, he's not cheating on you. Hopefully, he's not cheating on you with other men. But you know, he's not—he's uh, not doing anything at your expense. And this this would apply just as much to men, because they're weird, needy little boyfriends who, if their girlfriend goes out for girls' night, he's messaging her all night. He's bugging her. But it just goes for speaking as a man. It's like if if a if a man goes out or he has stuff that he does, and it only involves other men, don't bug him. You know, don't bug him at all because it makes it that much better when he spends time with you. It makes your relationship with him that much better. And I feel fortunate that I've never really had a girlfriend who bugged me. I think it's, well, typically if I'm in an actual relationship, I think it's communicated that I can be trusted, which seems to be at the core of all this. And it's also understood that it's like, I have interests. I have things that I do. And uh, it's better if I'm given the space to do that. And uh, so it's like if someone's in your life and they go off and they spend time with their peers, you need to let them do that. And I think some of the angst, some of the anxiety, some of the self-created stress that we live under today comes from not having that. And then when we do try to find it, it's some bisexual cuckold exhibitionist making you pay $400 to go to a freaking brunch to talk about what it is to be a guy. And that doesn't work either. That's worse. That's substantially worse. But we're going to have to come to terms with this. You know, we really are going to have to come to terms with this because I'm not even talking about a century ago. I'm talking about the entire history of our species. We've had a need for this. You know, men have a need to have their own environment where they can be men around each other. And trust me, men will want to be around women. You know, men want women in their lives. But uh, having some contrast is important too. And unfortunately, we exist in a time where it's become pathological. There's this, this pathological manhood. And we think that we need to pay to learn what that is. You think you need to like hire a fake therapist to find out what that is, a life coach. And you actually end up emasculating yourself even more when you do that. That's what I see when I... When I see these guys who are participating in this is i'm like you're actually emasculating yourself more by participating in this this new branch off the tree it's it's another mutation and it doesn't surprise me that we're some of these guys are losing it it doesn't surprise me that some of them are secretly degenerates and it doesn't surprise me that this guy the other day a 50 year old man who's participating in this stuff which is just sad It doesn't surprise me that a guy like that ends up shooting people, because these are dead ends. And it again comes back to, you know, what is natural to you? You should know what feels natural to you. You should know what your taste is in things. You should know what the activities you like to do are. But I think it goes back to people just not having a sense of identity to begin with in our modern world. That seems to be the real crisis at the center of so many of these issues that are going on, is that people have lost their sense of identity. Because identity isn't something you have to think about. Your identity as a human being is not something you have to think about. Yeah, in some ways it's shaped by the time and the place and the culture you live in, the family you were born into, the sorts of ideas you have come into contact with. It's not that you're born as a finished product but based on your life experience you should be able to figure out just who you are who and what you are you should be able to know what your identity is but this identity crisis it's you see it everywhere from these teenagers who are just in a fantasy land where they're like coming up with these new names for their gender they're coming out with these very bizarre pronouns that are almost Unpronounceable, ununpronounceable, unpronounceable pronouns. Um, You know, you see that, and that's to me that's a symptom of the same issue. It's a symptom of the identity crisis. These women who are pretending to be black, wiggers, punks. You know, yeah. There's a certain there's a time and a place for self-expression and subculture. But we can see where like people, they're just, they're trying to decorate themselves. They're trying to define themselves and they will go to any length to do that. They're desperate for it. And then these men, these young men, and it turns out older men too, who are like, we're going to start a brotherhood. We're going to start a brotherhood and we're going to get together and we're going to have brunch. And you're going to pay $400 to sit down and have a brunch with your fellow men to talk about what it is to be a man. And this guy with a beard, who's a secretly a cuckold bisexual exhibitionist, he's going to teach us everything. It's like something's wrong, man. And you're going to leave that brunch and try to tell people what a man you are. Twisted. That's twisted. And it's not going to make us better. Find out who you are and don't let anybody else tell you who you are. Do that first because it'll make it a lot easier to find like-minded people. That'll make you a lot more comfortable. And if you are, if if you find out that you are a, a, a bisexual cuckold exhibitionist, well, at least now you know. At least now you know that that's what you are, and you can you can find like-minded people. Cause, it turns out there are more of you if that's what you're into. But, I can't speak for that. But, uh, you know, I just I, it's it's twisted, and this desperation that people have. That's what it is. It's a desperation. It's a desperation to define yourself, because you don't know, because you're not listening to yourself. And you have to strip yourself down to do that. You know, you have to forget about all your hobbies and interests. You have to forget about what other people are telling you. And that's been my experience. You know, it's been on my own spiritual road. I've gone through these periods of completely, rich, and, and even before I got into, you know, the, my current disciplines and all that, my current practices. I think about like rejecting who you think you are. I think that's an important part of it. Not even rejecting, but rebelling. You know, I've gone through phases of that in my life where like if I find myself getting too far out there, I rebel against that by kind of snapping back to this more normal and generic version of myself. And when I find myself feeling too generic and normal, I snap back and I start going far out there again. And that has actually helped me kind of figure out who I am. And it's shown me why both of those are valuable qualities to have. It's good to be weird. It's not good to be weird all the time. It's good to be normal. It's not good to be too normal all the time. And uh, nobody can teach you that. You know, you just have to listen to yourself. You have to figure out what is natural to you. What kind of things do you like to do? what ideas resonate with you not what ideas make you feel like you're cool in other people's eyes not what ideas make you think that you're giving an impression you know it's not about like you never want to get caught up in ideas that are based on other people's impression of you and this seems so obvious just be yourself but that's what it is. It really is just be yourself. And you don't want to get caught up in, you know, oh, what, what are these people going to think? What, is, what, are, what are other people going to think about me? What's my peer group going to think? You don't want to get too far caught up in that. It's not that that's not important. It's not that your relationship to other people isn't important. But you never want to get so caught up in that that you are defined by your relationship to other people. And you can learn what that is by kind of rebelling against that and then rebelling against yourself. I mean, I don't know. I I would recommend everybody go through a, you know, I recommend everybody be in a constant state of rebellion and you'll eventually find the eye of the tornado inside of that, where you are comfortable, where you are who you are, where you know who you are, while recognizing that who you are in this material form is also temporary. Cause the last thing you need, if you're having an identity crisis, the last thing you need is pressure from yourself, from other people. So there's this identity crisis that people are going through and I'm hoping we can get away from it. I'm hoping that we as a whole can get away from this identity crisis because it's not just infecting one type of person. It's not just infecting one uh, point of view. It's something that you can actually observe everywhere and it's twisted people up to the point where they don't even know who they are.